sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Let's go ahead and begin with prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you are doing. We thank you for thy word. I thank you for these people who are hungry, hungry enough to come out, Lord, to come out to uh, where you have your table spread, Lord, for Monday night manna. And we ask you to illuminate our understanding, Lord. This subject can be very confusing to some, Lord, and I'd like you to, to by the Holy Spirit, illuminate the understanding, Lord, of your saints and of your people and of my heart, Lord, and anoint my lips that I might speak with simplicity, O Lord, and not with confusion. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are in Exodus part 10, and we will begin, we're going to begin our study on the tabernacle it's also called the tent of meeting it is also called the tent of the testimony uh, the tabernacle is the subject of exodus chapters 25 uh, through 40 there is a, a parenthesis that takes place in a couple of the chapters but it's mainly about the tabernacle and i want to remind you that our view in thy word of the old testament is that it is for the church it is not only for israel remember that the early church didn't walk around with a new testament bible in their back pockets they had the old testament and that's all they had and uh, the bible says in second timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 paul told timothy all scripture well, now scripture to paul was the Old Testament. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Can I tell you that if you have a doctrine that you believe in the church, you should be able to prove that doctrine in the Old Testament because the early church proved their doctrines in the Old Testament and by the Old Testament. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So what they wrote about in the Old Testament is for our learning. And Hosea, of course, verse 12 and verse 10, we use the Scripture quite a bit. I have spoken also by my prophets, and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes. Those are types, those are shadows, those are patterns, those are likenesses by the ministry of the prophets. So God uses types, he uses models, he uses similitudes and shadows for our instruction. More space in the scripture is devoted to this one object, the tabernacle, than any other object in the Bible. 
Uh, it is the most important structure ever upon planet Earth. God directly gave the pattern of the tabernacle to Moses. And as we'll see, the pattern of the tabernacle is what matters. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he had the tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments, but he also had a very detailed uh, specification for a portable tent, a tabernacle, a portable temp, uh, temple uh, that was to accompany Israel during their wilderness wanderings. And it's important to keep in focus that God's purpose in having Moses prepare the sanctuary was that God might dwell among his people. When we were last together, we saw a God who dwelt in a mountain with fire and with earthquakes and with lightning and trembling, and it was a fearful thing. And he could not simply just dwell among his people. There had to be a covenant. And he made a covenant with them and now he is giving them a way to approach him and, and for him to continue to dwell among them. And that is this very unique uh, uh, building called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle would serve its purpose until the Temple of Solomon uh, was built. This uh, unique structure was composed of a linen fence enclosing a courtyard containing a portable building or tent and seven articles of what they like to call furniture. I, I think we would call them vessels. Uh, some are furniture and others are vessels. Uh, the courtyard was surrounded by a white linen fence supported by poles set in bronze sockets with a single entrance, a gate on the east side. So you see the gate up there. Uh, in our image, there was only one entrance there. Uh, this area was around 75 feet by 150 feet, and that all depends on the size of a cubit. If you look at me, a cubit is thought to be from the fingers to the elbow. So it all depends on how big men were, right? If men were larger, it could be larger than about a foot and a half. So. There are different estimates all the way from 14 inches to about 25 inches of what a cubit is. So if you've ever seen the ark, and it is massive, even at a cubit being 1.5, um, uh, one foot and uh, one and a half feet, um, imagine if a cubit went all the way up to 25 inches. That would be larger than uh, most uh, seafaring vessels that we have today. Uh, and if you're thinking about the shape of the tabernacle, because if you see that 75 feet by 150 feet is a rectangle, you're probably thinking about another structure in the Bible with the same shape. And we find that structure way back in the early part of Genesis. Can someone tell me what that structure is? The ark. It is the ark of Noah. And it has the same shape. Like the tabernacle, Noah's ark was designed as a temple. The ark had three decks. The tabernacle had three divisions. And each of the three decks of Noah's ark was exactly the same height as the tabernacle and three times the area of the tabernacle court. The ark of Noah 
was basically a huge rectangular box with a roof. There was one entrance into the ark, and there is one entrance into the tabernacle area. This is a pattern. It is not accidental, and it cannot be ignored. Upon entering the courtyard of the tabernacle, the first item to be encountered was a bronze altar uh, for sacrifices to be offered on in accordance to uh, all the various Levitical ordinances. And this was where the animals were slaughtered. They were burned as offerings unto the Lord. The next item was a large bronze laver. Uh, that up there, what you just saw, is the, is the uh, altar of incense, the golden altar. The bronze altar is much larger, and it's made out of bronze. Uh, the next item was a, a large bronze laver for washing, and it was filled with water. And the priest would have to wash their hands and their feet before entering into the tabernacle itself. Sometimes in, when reading your Bible, if you read the King James Version, this will be called the molten sea. It's, a, it's a really a bad translation. They use the word molten as a way to refer that it was cast bronze and see that it contained water. But what it is is a bronze laver filled with water. Now let's look at the building structure. The building itself was assembled from vertical wooden planks covered with gold and fitted with rings which when fitted with horizontal poles would give it rigidity. So it was a tent, but it was rigid. And if you walked inside, you wouldn't see cloth on the side, but you would see gold. Um, it was, uh, the structure itself was about uh, 15 feet wide, if, if a cubit is a foot and a half. 15 feet wide, 15 feet high, and about 45 feet Long And inside the tabernacle, there were two chambers. The first chamber was about 30 feet long. The first chamber was called the holy place. And this is where the priest would minister before the Lord. Uh, the second chamber was divided by a veil from the holy place. You see the veil up there in the image. And this was a 15-foot cubicle chamber and this is called the Holy of Holies. You'll also see it as the most holy place. And we are reminded not only of the pattern of the Ark of Noah looking at this structure, but something else should come to our minds for those of us who have been in thy word from the very beginning of Genesis. Can anyone else tell me what com comes to mind? Brother Cody. Uh, the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden. Now, and the reason why this comes into mind is because it fits the same pattern. Remember that God created the earth. And uh, let's think of the earth as the tabernacle courtyard. The entire planet earth, the entire earth was one landmass, and that landmass was surrounded by water. So let's think of that landmass as the courtyard of the tabernacle. And up on the earth was placed a, a, a place called Eden. God had a place called Eden. And let's think of Eden as a holy place. It is within the courtyard. It is the holy place. And the Bible says the Lord planted a garden in Eden. So the Garden of Eden is in Eden, and Eden is in 
the earth. So you can think of Eden, the Garden of Eden, as the Holy of Holies, and that's where God met with Adam and Eve. And you can think of Eden itself as the holy place and then the earth as the courtyard. Do you see that God has a pattern and it's not by accident? It was carefully planned. Let's look a little bit at the holy place. Upon entering the holy place, and I'm just going to do, be very general at the beginning and then we'll start to get a little more into detail as we return to these. But the, upon entering the holy place, three items would be in view. When you entered, well, we'll, we'll call it furniture. To the left, we see the seven-branch lampstand. Uh, and that is the only light source in the holy place. It is made of gold, and if it were made today, it would be worth about $2 million just in gold alone. It's a magnificent, magnificent lampstand. Uh, and then on the right, we will see the table of shoe bread, and that is directly across from the lampstand. The lampstand's lights are shining forward, and they are illuminating the table of shoe bread directly across from it. And you, just so that you can picture it in your mind, remember the wood is gold. So this light is shining on the gold. Gold is very, very shiny. And so it was lit up by the light of the lampstand. Um, and so we have the table of shoe bread. And as we draw close to the uh, front of the curtain that covers the Holy of Holies, that final cubicle sanctum we have the golden altar the altar of incense and that is directly before what they call the veil and that is a place where the high priest would come and he would offer incense in the morning and in the evening now the lampstand was an oil-fed lampstand with seven branches and it provided the only source of light in the structure there was no other light but the lampstand the table of shoe bread held 12 loaves of unleavened bread one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel and it was renewed every Shabbat or on the Sabbath day and uh, of course then we have the golden altar used for altering incense so let's look up uh, offering incense so the Holy of Holies is the final inner sanctum it contained the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what we have here is a replica of the Ark. It's not the real thing. I know people thought that I had found it, and they were really excited when they came in, except we had a question about how big a cube it was. It was obviously much smaller than a foot and a half. But, th no, this is a replica of the Ark of the Covenant. If it wasn't, I wouldn't be touching it just, you know, just because. Um, I saw the Ark of the Covenant, too. Or I saw the Raiders of the Lost Ark, too. You know, I don't... I, so, and uh, so we have the Ark of the Covenant, and sitting up on it is called the Mercy Seat. This is the Mercy Seat, and this is considered its own separate piece of furniture, and is always referred to on its own, separate from the Ark of the Covenant, and that sits up on the Ark of the Covenant. And this is also called the seat, the atonement cover. In Hebrew, it's mainly the, the cover of atonement is what it's mainly called in the Hebrew. 
And the ark itself contained it, uh, throughout the years of Israel, of course not at the beginning, but it would contain the two tables of stone with the Ten Commandments. It would con uh, contain a golden pot of manna as a memorial, and it would contain Aaron's rod that budded. Now the lid was made of solid gold. The ark was made of acacia wood covered with gold, but the, the, the uh, atonement seat or the mercy seat was solid beat gold formed uh, with two cherubim on top facing each other. And you can see the cherubim, they're basically angels uh, that are winged. They look like men and they're constantly facing each other and they are bowed in worship. And above the ark, the glory of God would rest, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. It entered the tabernacle and it would dwell above the ark between the two cherubim. Now we just described something and I'm going to briefly describe it. If you were to step out of the Holy of Holies and start walking toward the exit to the holy place, the exit of the tabernacle, you would be walking eastward. Okay, the exit was toward the east. Now, if you had just read about the fall of man, the judgment of Adam and Eve, that God uh, uh, drove them out of the garden and set cherubim in the place eastward, it would bring that to mind. You would look back as you're walking out of the tabernacle and you would see the veil. And the veil was emblazoned with cherubim. And it separated you from the holy place of God. Remember I said that the Garden of Eden was like the Holy of Holies where God met with Adam. And beyond that veil was the presence of God dwelling between two cherubim. And every year, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it with the blood. So now we have the blood. So say you were the high priest of Israel, and you went and sprinkled the blood upon the mercy seat, and you left through the veil going eastward, and you looked back, you would see what Adam and Eve saw. You would see the sacrifice that God killed to make their clothing and cover their nakedness. You would see God in His presence and His glory, but you could not get to Him because the way was blocked by the cherubim. And that's what we see in the tabernacle. Isn't that awesome? This is never by accident. God doesn't do things by accident. There is always a purpose to His pattern. That's actually a good quote. There is always a purpose to his pattern. Someone write that down. Praise the Lord. Amen. So, uh, we just mentioned the Day of Atonement, and this is a something, uh, th this would take place in the Holy of Holies, where the Holy of Holies could only be entered by the high priest. No priest could enter the Holy uh, of Holies except for the high priest, and he could not do that just any old time. He could enter the high priest only, or the high priest could only enter the Holy of Holies one day of the year. It's called Yom Kippur, which means the Day of Atonement, and then he would sprinkle the blood from the sacrifices on the mercy seat. That's called Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. Now let's look at the architecture of 
this structure called the tabernacle. It, it had four coverings. The first was linen. The second was goat's hair. The third was ram skin dyed red. And the fourth was badger skins. The badger skin covering was the only covering which was seen on the outside. And it was a very dull, attractive skin. It had nothing to be desired. It wasn't beautiful. Someone else, the Bible says, there was nothing to be desired. That was the Lord Jesus Christ, wasn't it? Every aspect of the tabernacle's design and every material that is used, every detail has significance. And I could teach on this subject probably until Jesus comes, if we were to do it weekly, or until I drop dead, because there's so much to it. I will not do that, because we will have to move on. Amen. Let's look at the courtyard. As we approach the tabernacle from the outside, all we see is a white linen barrier. And you could not see over that structure. It was too high for you to see. So all you could see is the white linen. And this symbolizes righteousness, by the way. We will come back to that. The posts were set in bronze sockets. So everything outside the building, as far as uh, that was metal, was bronze. And bronze could withstand fire. And it symbolizes judgment in the Bible, a Levitical symbol for judgment. The tabernacle had only one entrance. It was on the east side, and um, and I'm talking about the, the courtyard itself there on the east side. And this is very significant. We just talked about Adam and Eve and, and how they left eastward. But Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, uh, looking at the temple, which would later be made to replace the tabernacle, Ezekiel saw the Shekinah, the glory of God, leave the temple toward the east. The glory of God departed Jerusalem because of the sins of the people, and it left eastward over the mountains. What a horrible, terrible, terrible thing to see. I, I want to get through this, but I also want to mention this. Ezekiel saw the Shekinah leave the temple toward the east. But the star of Bethlehem came from where? Anybody ever seen a star move? They kind of stay in position, don't they? So what was the star of Bethlehem? Coming from the east. I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It was the glory of the Lord returning to his temple, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a Ricky Taylorism, but I'm going to stick with it because it makes sense. Amen. Praise the Lord. Lonnie says, every time you say uh, Ricky Taylorism, I'm going to start handing out Kool-Aid and say, don't drink it. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. You can go to heaven if you disagree with me. Amen. For, so, and when Jesus does return to Jerusalem, he is going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives, by the way. The, the glory departed eastward. It would have gone over the Mount of Olives. When Jesus returns, he's going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives. He is going to enter through the eastern gate. In fact, he will be the next person to enter the eastern gate. 
His arrival is going to open it up because that gate was blocked up. It's still blocked up. And it was blocked up to prevent his coming of all things. Isn't that funny? But to prevent his coming, the Islamic, the Islamist at the time blocked the eastern gate, still blocked today. They said, we're going to stop the Messiah from coming, but they don't understand that the scriptures actually said, and he showed me the gate that was toward the east, and it was shut. This man actually fulfilled the prophecy of God by trying to stop the prophecy of God. Isn't that how it always works? Amen. And he will be coming through the eastern gate, which is still shut. Um, for uh, praise God. And this is not an accident. This is a pattern. There is only one door to the tabernacle. Uh, we mentioned that the first item uh, encountered was the altar of sacrifice. So when you come in, you see that altar of sacrifice. This is where the blood was shed. And then we have the labor. Amen. And as we approach the building itself, the tabernacle was built of acacia wood wrapped in gold. The plates rested on silver sockets. And silver is a type, a Levitical type, a symbol for blood. You would have to re, you would have to buy the firstborn of the animals and the firstborn sons with silver. And that represented their blood. And we remember that Judas threw 30 pieces of silver onto the temple floor saying, Behold, I have betrayed innocent blood. And it is a representation, a likeness of blood. And then, of course, we have the lampstand. Across from the lampstand was a table of shoe bread. We mentioned that. I want to mention a little bit closer now. I mentioned that the lampstand was actually made of over 100 pounds of beaten gold. And across from that was a table of shoe bread. Now, the table of shoe bread was made of acacia wood. It was overlaid with pure gold. And its purpose was to hold the 12 cakes of bread made of fine flour. They were placed there in two rows of six. And each loaf represented one of the tribes of Israel. This was, uh, this was three feet in length by a foot and a half in width and had a height of two and a quarter feet. Around the table was a border of gold, and then a little further in on the tabletop was an additional border which would hold the bread. The table had four legs, and two gold-plated poles were inserted uh, through the gold rings attached to the leg for transporting. And then, uh, of course, the altar of incense. Uh, this, was, this was actually much smaller. It was about half, one and a half feet wide, one and a half feet long and three feet high. And this was also made of acacia wood covered with pure gold, and it also had a molding around it. And the high priest, uh, once again, was to burn incense on it. So passing through the veil, we find the Holy of Holies again. And the only furniture of the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat. Amen. I'm not going to get too much more into that part. But let's look at uh, some meaning behind this tabernacle. And I'm going to take a, some of this from the New Testament. I want to show you, as we be, begin our study, why this study is so important. And uh, uh, I, I, don't want to, I want to say Paul, but we don't know for sure who the writer of the book of Hebrews is. It's Paul. We don't know for sure. It is Paul, though. Now, I, mean, I have several reasons to believe that it is Paul, and when we get to the book of Hebrews, I will show you why. But for one thing, it's a third part in a series, and the first two were written by the Apostle Paul. 
Amen, and, and that's a good point. Um, but Paul was a great Hebrew scholar. He had a what we'd call today a double PhD in the Torah. He was a master of the law. And here in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1, the writer of the book of Hebrews wrote, Now the main point of what we have to say this is this. I'm reading this in the Amplified Bible because I want it to be brought out as clearly as we can. Now the main point... And, and, and he is talking much about the Old Testament here. He's talking about the, the law and the reason for the law, the sacrifices, and, and showing how they relate to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says here, now the main point of what we have to say is this. We have such a high priest, the Christ, who is seated in the place of honor at the right hand of the throne of the majesty or God in heaven, a minister or officiating priest in the holy places, that's the holy of holies, and the holy place, so we find Jesus there, and, and in the true tabernacle. The true tabernacle. That means that what we're seeing here in the Old Testament was not the true tabernacle. It was a type and a shadow a similitude, a likeness of a true tabernacle. That's interesting, isn't it? So what's the true tabernacle? Which is erected not by man, but by the Lord. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. By the way, that word high priest, when the high priest is brought about in the Hebrew, he is called Hamashiach. Hamashiach is the word for the Messiah. And Jesus is the high priest. He is the Hamashiach, the Messiah. And for every high priest is, a, is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it is essential uh, for this one also to have something to offer. Now if he were still living on earth, he would not be a priest at all. For there are priests who offer the gifts to God in accordance with the law. The writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, first of all, while he wrote this, the temple was still standing. So we know right around what time this was written. Second, Jesus would not be a high priest at all. He would not be a priest at all because he was of the tribe of Judah and not of the tribe of Levi. But he is not a tribe after, he is not a priest after, after Levi, but after uh, but he is a, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's both a priest and a king. Um, but he's saying he, he would not be a priest at all, for there are priests who offer the gifts to God in accordance with the law. They serve, listen to this, as a pattern and foreshadowing of what has its true existence and reality in. We have a true tabernacle, and this has its true existence and reality in the heavenly things sanctuary, the Holy of Holies. That's what this is saying in the Amplified Bible. For when Moses was about to erect the tabernacle, he was warned by God, saying that you make it all exactly according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. God took the tabernacle very seriously not because it was simply just an earthly structure, but that it represented, it was a type, it was a shadow, a similitude of heavenly realities, a heavenly sanctuary, a holy of holies 
in the heavenlies. Isn't that exciting? That God is showing us what is in the heavenlies and how things operate in his universe. That's what the tabernacle is. I know it, it doesn't seem like it, but it is. Hebrews 9, 22 through 24 also bears this out. The writer says, in fact, under the law, almost everything is cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, neither relief from sin and its guilt, nor cancellation of the merited punishment. That's a lot of words. It's amplified. Therefore, it was necessary for the earthly copies of the heavenly things. These are earthly copies of heavenly things. To be cleansed with these. But the heavenly things themselves required far better sacrifices than these. In other words, they sacrificed animals. They sacrificed the blood of animals because it was just a copy. It was just a likeness. It wasn't the true tabernacle. God was just trying to teach. It was a way of being instructed. In fact, that's what the entire law was for. It's just a way to be instructed. For Christ, verse 24, did not enter into a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the very presence of God on our behalf. So the tabernacle provides figures of heavenly realities but Christ has entered into the actual realities which were typified by the tabernacle. And he entered not with the blood of animals. He didn't take goats. He didn't take sheep. He didn't take lambs he, 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 or, or the blood of a bullock. He brought his own precious blood. The real thing to the real tabernacle. That's astounding. There is a tabernacle in the heavenlies. Hallelujah. Hebrews 10 and verse 19, the writer says here, Therefore, believers, since we have confidence and full freedom to enter the holy place, the place where God dwells by means of the blood of Jesus. Hold on. What do we enter? There's no tabernacle. There's no temple. How do I enter the holy place? You ever feel that presence of God? Hallelujah. You are entering heavenly places in the spirit, which is the reality. Everything that you're seeing right now in your natural is not the reality. It's just a shadow. It's like seeing through a glass darkly. The reality is what's in the spirit. And you, in church, can enter into heavenly places in the Spirit. How? By the blood of Jesus. By this new and living way, which he initiated and opened for us through the veil, as in the Holy of Holies, that is through his flesh. We're going to get into that. The pattern of the tabernacle was important, not only its structure, but the nature of its sacrifices, its offerings, its rituals, its ordinances, its laws of holiness, because they are a similitude. They are a type 
and shadow of the true heaven and the true sacrifice, Jesus Christ, and the nature of God, His true holiness. Without understanding the tabernacle plan, the sacrifices of the tabernacle, the reasons for the tabernacle, the laws pertaining to holiness and washing and being clean and being unclean, you cannot understand Christianity. It's amazing, right? And so many people tell us, forget the Old Testament. Just read the book of John and move on to the epistles. This is where it's at. Praise the Lord. Let's look at some of the symbolism of the tabernacle. This might go a little deep for you. But the three separate areas of the tabernacle represent... Okay, I know what kind of church I'm in, but I'm going to say it anyway. This represents the nature of God. We have one God who has the nature of, the nature of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I've explained this before. I am one person. But I have three attributes. You are looking at one of those attributes. I wish it looked a little bit better for you. It used to look much better. It's called my body. And you can see that. You are looking at the express image of the person of God, right? Well, God created me in his image. And the one that is talking to you is only using this physical mouth to convey a message to you because you can't see that other part of me. And that is the part that is thinking right now and feeling Okay, it is the mind, it is the will, and it is the emotions that is my soul. And my soul is using the express image of its person so that you can see me. Otherwise, I would be a ghost. Right? And there's another part in me that is called the spirit. And we're going to bring that out a little bit more in fact why don't we go ahead and do that in first thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 uh, the apostle paul wrote and the very god of peace sanctify you holy that doesn't mean holy like it's got holes in it it means holy as in whole that means every part of you okay so the whole part of a person and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body. That's you holy. That's all of you. Be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the complete man is spirit, soul, and body. So I'm going to take myself as an example here. The outer court is my body. And that's what's visible to you. My body has five natural senses. And I use these senses to perceive the world around me. Okay? The courtyard was illuminated by natural light, by the sun and by the moon. And our bodies see only what is in the natural. Our holy place is our soul. That is our holy place. This is the seat of our mind, our will, and our emotions. And these can be represented by the lampstand, by the table of shoe bread, 
and the altar of incense. I can't go too deeply into that. But the soul cannot be seen. And as the body sees only the natural, the soul sees revealed truth that can only come from God. The only source of light in the holy place was the lampstand. It is the revealed truth that comes from God and His Word. And our Holy of Holies is our spirit. That's uh, that part in us that God dwells in. It is our Holy of Holies. And there is no light at all in the Holy of Holies. None. There's no lampstand within the Holy of Holies. The only light in the Holy of Holies comes directly from the presence of the Lord, the glory of God. And it is within the Spirit that God dwells. The Bible says that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. You are the temple of the Lord. Hallelujah. You are the tabernacle. You are His dwelling place. You are the outer court, the holy place, and His holy of holies. Praise the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. I have to go all the way back here. Amen. So I want to look, and we just have a little bit of time. We've got about ten more minutes or so. And, and look at the nature of the heavenlies. Because I mentioned a little bit of that, about this. And Paul said... In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2, that he knew a man who was caught up to the third heaven. Now, it's only logical to assume that if a man was caught up into the third heaven, there must be a second heaven and there must be a first heaven. Are you with me? Praise the Lord. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says God created the heavens. And the word for heavens is Hashemayim. Bereshit bara Elohim et Hashemayim va'et ha'aretz. He created the heavens and the earth. And this word Hashemayim in Hebrew is plural, which means that there's more than one. There's more than one heaven. So let's look at this. The first heaven is the sky that's above us that goes up to the atmosphere. The second heaven is what we call outer space. The third heaven is where God dwells. Is anybody beginning to see a pattern? It's always three parts. And one gets increasingly more holy than the other. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? It's almost like this is not an accident. So... The second heaven is what we call outer space. The third heaven is where God dwells. If we consider the place where God has his headquarters, the Holy of Holies, and it is, then the second heaven is the holy place. And uh, we know that angels dwelt there in heavenly or high places. And just by the way, and we will uh, see as we continue in thy word, that this second heaven, now don't get me for heresy, I can prove this. I will just share a little bit of this so you'll know that I'm not talking heresy. But that this second heaven is the headquarters of the kingdom of Satan and his angels. 
Now, I don't know how big it is, and I don't know how much they actually control, but that's where they dwell. And I will prove this to you. We see in the book of Daniel where Daniel fasts and prays for 21 days. Afterwards, an angelic being appeared to him. And this being told Daniel that he was sent to him on the first day he prayed. But he was withstood by the prince of Persia for 21 days. Now, this was no human ruler, this prince of Persia. He was a ruler of darkness. He was a prince of the power of the air. He was a prince of, he was, a, 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 we're going to get into it, but this prince was not an earthly prince. He was an angel, a fallen angel. He was a ruler of darkness, and he was powerful. The angel told Daniel that Michael, one of the chief princes, had to come to his aid. And this gives us a glimpse into the supernatural realm. It seems that the angel had to fight his way through the second heaven to reach earth from the third heaven. And we will study this further as we go, but let me make a brief point. Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 6 and verse 12, For we wrestle, for we wrestle not against flesh. And by the way, a lot of, a lot of uh, Christians have put a period where period doesn't belong. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. They put we wrestle not. <laughs> but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The high places Paul is talking about here is rendered heavenly places in other parts of the epistles. So these creatures that we're fighting against are in heavenly places they're not in the third heaven they're in the second heaven now there are demons on earth these demons are not principalities they are not rulers of darkness i do not believe that demons are fallen angels they seem to be a lower entity in the kingdom of satan i have ideas of where they come from we might talk about that as we get to the prophets because i take it from the prophets and angels even fallen angels are extremely powerful they don't need your body they have a body and they are powerful enough to prevent an angel of god from coming to daniel michael had to intervene to overcome one of these principalities in the heavenlies that's where they dwell. I can tell you, though, they're not always going to dwell there because he's going to be cast down to the earth. And you know who's going to cast them down? We're not going to get into eschatology here. But the Bible says you are. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Why are we the ones casting him down? My opinion, we're going to take his place. we got to vacate the second heaven because someone else is going to dwell there praise the lord hallelujah we hallelujah praise the lord are going to dwell in heavenly places now, i'm wondering if i should carry on here uh, i will hit this the prominence of the number seven in the tabernacle as we discussed there are seven items of furniture in the tabernacle we will see the number seven all throughout this study of the tabernacle. In the outer court, there are two, the brazen altar and the laver. 
In the holy place there are three, the table of shewbread, the lampstand, and the golden altar. And in the holy of holies there are two, the ark and the mercy seat. It's two-part. I believe that there are seven ministries, and we will get into that, not today, but we will get into that. There are seven ministries in the symbolism of the tabernacle. And five are found in the pillars of the holy place. These are the apostle, uh, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. And two are hidden in the holy of holies. These are the priest and the king. And these are ministries that are found in the Bible. There are seven garments of the high priest. There's the coat, which is actually the undergarment. There's the girdle. There's the robe. There's the ephod. There's the breastplate. There's the mitre. And then there's the golden plate for the mitre that is inscribed with the words holiness unto the Lord. Amen. And that's as far as we are going tonight. Amen. I hope that I was able to convey to you tonight that it is worth studying the tabernacle. We are going to go through it. We're going to look at every part of it, maybe not in complete detail, but we cannot continue on until we understand why the most important thing in the Bible, there was one most important day, there was one most important event, and that was the day that Jesus Christ took your place. And that's what he did. He took your place. And when we understand the tabernacle, when we understand the sacrifices, when we understand the rules and the laws, not to follow them, then we give glory to him because he fulfilled them all. This is a book written by someone who knew the end from the beginning. Someone who is outside of time and space. Someone who is separate from the rules of the physical universe. This book was written by the Lord Jesus Christ. By the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Word. Amen. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for all that you are doing. And we thank you for all that you will continue to do. Lord, bless those who have come. And bless those... A, a, a double portion for those who stay and seek you in house of prayer. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart